Welcome to What's Not Priced In, a weekly investor podcast by Fattail Investment Research. In a world of confusion and rapid change, experts Kirill Prakopenka and Greg Canavan look behind the headlines to unveil the hidden opportunities within the Australian stock market. Now, let's dive in to today's episode. In today's episode, Greg and I struggle to find the right analogy to explain the bullish sentiment over in the US. I invest as a sleep at the wheel hurtling towards a hard economic reality. Greg does think tech valuations are overstretched and his chart of the week illustrates why. Now, turning to Australia, we discussed the much more grounded sentiment of Aussie investors and that's no surprise. The ASX 200 has gone nowhere in two years. We also covered the weakening Aussie dollar and the outlook for key commodities like copper and iron ore as China's economic recovery continues to disappoint. And we finished with our stock of the week. No matter how you package it, the outlook isn't great. Hello, and welcome back to the seventh episode of What's Not Priced In. As always, I'm joined by Greg. Greg, how are you? G'day, Carol. I'm well, thanks, mate. How are you? Good, thanks. Well, I usually, um, sometimes I like to sort of stump you at the start of the episode with a with an interesting quote that I think encapsulates the spirit of the show. <laughs> I think I did that maybe two weeks ago, and I've got another one for you today. You, you probably actually might know this one. It was published by Howard Marks in about 2006. It was his Oak Tree Capital Memo. Um, and he was sort of talking about his performance. And I'll start the quote now. And he was saying, I quickly recognized that my strong performance resulted in large part from precisely this fact. I was invested in securities practically. No one was talking about uh, or knew about or deemed desirable. So if you seek superior investment results, you have to invest in things that others haven't flocked to and caused to be fully valued. In other words, you have to do something different. And then later on, he sort of elaborates. Remember, your goal in investing isn't to earn average returns. You want to do better than average. Thus, your thinking has to be better than that of others, both more powerful and at a higher level. And since other investors may be smart, well-informed and highly computerized, you must find an edge they don't have. You must think of something they haven't thought of, see things they miss, or bring insight they don't possess. You have to react differently and behave differently. In short, being right may be a necessary condition for investment success, but it won't be sufficient. You have to be more right than others, which by definition means your thinking has to be different. So what do you make of that quote? Love it. I've heard yeah. of that before. I wasn't yeah. familiar that it was from way back in 2006, but yeah. that's the point, right? Good quotes uh, stand the test of time. And 2006 wasn't that long ago, but we have gone yeah. through quite a few different market regimes since that time. And uh, yeah, all I would add to that is that what he's talking about there is is really having patience and the emotional mm. strength to be able to look for areas that other investors mm. are not interested in. And sometimes that they just don't come up. And, and this week, as, mm. as this week was unfolding, I was thinking, well, there's not really a standout contrarian uh trade here at the moment it's it's a pretty mm. it's a pretty boring boring market and then uh we yeah. had the last couple of days which was which was quite quite good so we we do have something to talk about yeah and we'll get to and i think the reason why i was um sort of thinking of that quote is because um you know we don't want to sort of fall into the trap of slavishly paying attention to whatever is trending in the news and constantly thinking along the same lines that everyone else is thinking of but having said that, we will sort of talk a little bit about interest rates. Uh, but um, I do sort of want to maybe get your contrarian take on on interest rates because I think 
everyone pays attention to the news. Everyone sees the, the newspaper. Everyone knows that interest rates are high. Interest rates may rise a little bit higher. But as investors and as Howard Marks quote was sort of saying, we have to think a little bit differently, have to look where, think, uh, where people aren't really looking. So if we are to talk about interest rates, how can we talk about them in such a way that we are thinking along lines that other people haven't really thought of before? Yeah, good point. It's a, it's a steep challenge. It's yeah, it is a challenge. steep challenge. And sometimes, you know, the answer is there's not much, there's not yeah. much value to add. You just need to wait until opportunities come that, um, mm-hmm. from a contrarian perspective, seem really obvious. And a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about property trusts uh, mm-hmm. being a good contrarian bet against the rising interest rate um, and the concern over commercial real estate. And the, the gist is when all that stuff is is in the news and on, on the front pages and, and very much at the top of investors' minds, you can say, okay, well, a lot of that's priced in and we're, and we're seeing good value there. So potentially that's an opportunity to build a position, take a position, not that you're going to see a turnaround straight away. But I'd imagine these are the types of positions that Howard Marks was talking about when he was when he was saying to you know think a little bit differently from, from mm. the pack. So this week we've got... Uh, an interest rate decision from the RBA, mm-hmm. and we were watching that on on the Tuesday. The market was actually selling off uh, into that decision, not in a, in a drastic way, but it was obviously mm-hmm. there was some concern about the fact that rates would rise. And then when the RBA didn't raise rates, the market shot really higher, and mm-hmm. uh, you know it looked like just from the reaction of the market that the the RBA had actually cut rates. It was. It was a, a silly reaction, but it was more, I think, a reaction that a lot of traders were caught on the wrong side of that decision and had to cover in order to, uh, you know, get back to neutral in terms of their positioning. So, and then obviously the next couple of days, we've seen selling kick in, and, and uh, we're recording this at about ten o'clock on Friday morning. We're a bit after the market open, and I just looked before mm-hmm. the market's down one percent today on the back of a one point two percent fall yesterday. And overnight in the US, you saw interest rates, market interest rates Mm -hmm. kick up uh, considerably. Um, And there's obviously that concern about higher for longer. And I think that's been one of the themes that we've been discussing on on this podcast is, you know, when we've said what's not priced in, it's the fact that the Fed and and central banks around the world are saying, we're going to raise rates and we're going to keep them higher for longer than you currently expect. I would suggest that that is still not priced in. So um, unless you want to talk about yeah. interest rates a little bit more, I think we can maybe start to look at some evidence of, of where where that not pricing in is still happening. Yeah. Well, actually, I think before we before we go, I think maybe maybe some people may be wondering, um, you know, what is the actual significance of the fact that the market is not pricing in high for long interest rates? You know, why does it matter? Well, I think it matters because there's a lot of downside risk when so you're either going to get interest rates or the fed starting to cut quite quickly mm-hmm. to close that gap and when i say gap I'll, i've got some charts uh to show you that that clearly demonstrates mm-hmm. there's a gap between uh where the market has gone over the past say 3 to 6 months and where interest rates have gone um so look we're talking about markets and the other side of that coin is that, that you know there's lots of stocks out there that are good value but if we're talking just about broader markets then I think the market is quite exposed and especially in Australia and we'll get to this later as well is that we're we're very exposed to what's happening in 
China at the moment, and it's well known that commodity prices have been under the pump for the better part of, let's say, the past past 12 months. Uh, we've gone through a post-COVID correction as a lot of that money supply comes out of the, the global economy. China reopening was a bit of a fizzer. The expectation that China would then stimulate to to create more growth when the when the reopening theme didn't sort of play out, that's been disappointed as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know Australia is is reflecting that lack of impetus from China, and it's reflecting the fact that interest rates here are really putting pressure on uh, households in terms of the. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the mortgage rates and a couple of weeks ago we showed that chart we're just in this quarter and we've moved into the September quarter now you've got 60 billion dollars worth of term funding facility that's getting repaid to the RBA this quarter so effectively that's 60 billion worth of low fixed rate interest that are going to reset to a higher rate uh, just in this quarter so to me there's still a lot of pressure that that's going to be mm-hmm. um put on the consumer uh the the retailers yes their earnings expectations have been wound back quite a lot uh but i think in the short term there's still going to be considerable pressure because at the end of the day the the rapid rate rise that the rba has uh done over the past 12 months still mm-hmm. has a long way to to go in terms of the the lagged effects of the, those rises so we're still going to feel the pain for that for for some time yeah and just maybe um, moving on maybe to you've said that it looks likely that interest rates are going to be higher for longer but uh, the indicators I think especially in the US are still the sentiment indicators still very bullish and we, I think we have a in, contrarian magazine cover as well that's sort of saying oh, is this like a, a strong bull market but I think you are sort of saying that the US is slowly starting to wake up to the possibility that things aren't going to be as smooth as they think so maybe just a a comment on that from you. I don't know about whether they're starting to wake up. Perhaps they're starting to sort of stir a little bit. Yeah. But, um, I just want to show a couple of these sentiment indicators to give you an idea that mm-hmm. really there's no – the market's still sound asleep to this higher for longer theme. Uh, so CNN Greed and Fear Index, this is one that we've showed uh, constantly over the past few weeks and it's still firmly – in the extreme greed range. Now, if you're interested in this, you can just Google CNN Fear and Greed Index and there's about seven sub-indices and I Mm -hmm. think about six of them, maybe five or six of them are in the extreme greed uh, range. So from internal sentiment, uh, all those things that go to feed into this, there's, there's no sign of concern at all. And if you look at the investors intelligence this is the bulls and the bears ratio that has just rocketed out of a really bearish range that was in in 2022 and and hit just on uh three which you know essentially means for every bear there's uh, sorry yeah for every bear there's three Mm. three bulls out there now that you can see here like that doesn't necessarily mean we are stretched like in Mm -hmm. genuine bull markets that can stay at a high level for some time and I guess that's the biggest question that a lot of people are still grappling with is, you know, are we in a bear market rally or are we in a, a new bull market? Now, I would suggest mm-hmm. with interest rates rising with um, the, I guess, tail end of the COVID stimulus in the US, especially just starting to wash through 
the economy. Um, my view is that you're not in a new bull market and whether the bear market gets gets a lot worse or not uh, is another question, but I certainly don't see a lot of rationale for ongoing uh, share price rises. And this, the fact that the sentiment has rebounded so quickly, and this is really in the last couple of months, uh, and I think on our first episode, we covered the NVIDIA and the AI mm-hmm. boom, and this has really gone from there and everyone sort of got balled up and willing to bet that this is a new new bull market. So from a contrarian perspective, this is a little bit of a concern. And then um, you dug this out during the week. This is a Barron's uh, mm-hmm. headline. I think you said it was from June. Yeah, last month, yep. Uh, so, you know, speaks for itself really. This market has legs, the bull is back, and why more stocks could join the tech leaders. Um, sure, in the short term, uh, that's clearly played out. Uh, the, the the market uh, breadth has broadened over the past month or so, as mm-hmm. as people have probably thought. Okay, well the the stocks, the big stocks have had their run. I'm going to try and find something else to jump on board, uh, mm-hmm. which is you know how a lot of these these markets work. Uh, but to me, you know, we look at these magazine indicators as a contrarian indicator because this is what editors and publishers feel comfortable publishing because they think that's what their readers want to uh you know want to read or that's the dominant narrative in the market so that was a good find mate that's uh that's just another confirmation that this bullish sentiment is potentially uh overdone and then if we uh have a look at uh some of the 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 big tech stocks and this is Mm. interesting because when I look at them from, uh, let's see, a perspective of, uh, where were we? So let's go to Apple, and I'm going to show you mm-hmm. Apple on a weekly timescale. Mm-hmm. And let's just have a look at the RSI, which is a, it's called Relative Strength Index, and it's effectively a moment, momentum indicator. And over the past couple of years, Obviously, Apple's been in a very strong bull market, mm-hmm. uh, which is indicated by these really over, overbought. So whenever the RSI is above 70, it's considered to be overbought and, and stretched from a short-term perspective. Now, in recent years, I just marked when the RSI was, um, I think this is above, when the RSI got mm-hmm. above 80. Mm-hmm. So here it got above 80. This is on a weekly indicator. And um, over the next couple of months, it fell 30, nearly 35%. So the next time it got above 80 on the weekly RSI, it went on to fall 20, mm-hmm. 25.5%. And this is um, just recently. Uh, so that was last Friday. It hit 86 uh, RSI, which is obviously very, very stretched in terms of the the momentum on it. So I just made, marked a 30% being the average of these two. So it's completely unscientific. Mm-hmm. It's just giving you a rough guide of where potentially if yep. Apple was to follow these last two instances of when weekly RSI was above 80, you're going to see Apple back down at these lows that it made during the bear market of 2022. Um, now moving on to Microsoft, that hasn't done quite as well as Apple. Uh, but we are, and I'm just going to get rid of this RSI and just go back to the the daily indicator here. So it is bumping up against these former highs. Uh, so to me, that's a that's a warning sign as well. 
um, the FANG index back up at these highs. Now I'm pretty sure that's probably just breached those highs. Mm-hmm. Now, often if you uh, if you listen to our technical guru Murray Dawes, he's often talking about false breaks of highs. Now, a lot of a lot of the time, what happens is is that investors get excited and say, "Oh, it's broken out to a new all time high. I'm going to jump on that." And what happens is that not enough momentum is there, and it quickly rolls over and and falls back down. And, and Murray mm-hmm. calls those false breaks of highs, which can be quite um, a bearish, a bearish signal from a technical perspective. So the fangs have just got up there, just broken those highs, uh, and and if if sentiment is already at a extreme reading, if sentiment indicators are high, if the extreme greed uh, sentiment indicator has been on that level for the past month, and that's mm-hmm. been maintained at that level, it doesn't often happen uh, for that long. You question how many more buyers are there to keep pushing this higher. Yep. Uh, Tesla's another one that's just had a big, big rally, big sell-off, big, big rally. Everyone's jumping back on the, the Tesla and the EV train. Similar thing with uh, Meta platforms, Facebook, uh, big rally from its big sell-off. Uh, so yeah, they're, they're the they're the uh, the tech indicators that to me just suggest, along with sentiment, they're just ignoring the fact that interest rates are. Uh, continuing to go higher. And just to show you that, last week we spoke about real interest rates. Um, so if, yeah. if anyone missed that episode, essentially we were talking about uh, the real interest rate and the correlation of real interest rates with uh, gold specifically, uh, but it is correlated with with other assets as well. Um, and overnight we saw a big jump in nominal yields. And so mm. when nominal yields jump, real interest rates rise as well. And that's pushed the price of these tips uh, lower. So you, it looks like they're going down to test these lows of October last year. Um, now, the interesting thing here is I, I matched up or I correlated the, the the price of tips with the NASDAQ and the mm-hmm. S&P 500. And this is what I was saying before with that gap, um, Kirill, is that yep. we've been talking about that stocks are ignoring or not pricing in the higher for longer interest rate narrative. And that is nowhere more obvious than in the performance of these these tips, which yeah. is the price of real bond yields. And uh, for those who might not be familiar, when yields rise, prices fall in the world of bonds. So the fact that tips prices are falling is telling you that real yields are rising and they're rising back to a level uh, that we haven't seen since uh, September, October last year. Now, last that year during the bear market. Sorry, mate. What was that? I just said that's a great chart. Yeah, I mean, look, last year in the bear market, yields. Uh, sorry, uh, tips and the S and P five hundred and the Nasdaq were all highly correlated. And yes, they were a little bit correlated during this uh, rebound from there, as the market thought, okay, well, we're going to see lower interest rates. But this higher for longer and and the determination of uh, the Fed to keep rates higher and keep raising rates is seeing tips fall back down. But the stock market is just on a tear because of these sentiment indicators and people seem oblivious to the underlying tightness of the mm-hmm. uh, of the financial financial system and the effect on the economy. And they're just going off to the races, yet 
the tips are telling you that uh, monetary policy is going to remain tight. So for me, this is not priced in at all. And and there is a definite uh, downside risk to the markets um, in the short term. Now, we did discuss gold uh, last week. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's worth pointing out that gold has trended down a little bit with the tips, but obviously uh, with the recent action in nominal bond yields in the US and the fact that inflation expectations continue to trend down is not providing any uh, support to these tips prices at all. So they've just mm-hmm. they've gone down. So this poses a risk to gold prices as well. So if gold was to, to catch down to this, you'd be looking at gold back down around $1,700. Now, the fact that it's not, you could interpret that as bullish. You could say, well, gold's looking through this period of monetary tightness and looking at mm-hmm. interest rate rises. But as we said yesterday, I would just caution as much as a gold, uh, as a gold bull that I am, I'd just caution that uh, that is a little bit of a concern. So it's a concern for all asset prices, right? When real yields are as yeah. high as they are, uh, that puts pressure on on asset prices mm-hmm. everywhere. Yeah, and I just have a just had a a, a random question. Uh, this is clearly um, maybe before my time, but is there any parallels right now with the people's obsession with the like the the, the top ten stocks in the US with the the Nifty Fifty stocks? Way back when, when people were saying you just buy them at any price and they'll just You're keep suggesting going that up. I was around in the sixties <laughs> and seventies. <laughs> Not necessarily, but maybe your points of comparison, you know, where. Well, you know, that's the whole point about stock markets. It's the same. It's the same story, yeah. just in a different different guise. So, um, yeah, I mean, just to be to confirm, <laughs> I wasn't around at that time. But um, from what I've read. The Nifty Fifty uh, was a was a pretty heady time, but I would also say that back then, PEs were off the charts. And I remember that our very first episode, we looked at some of these tech stocks, and they are genuinely global monopolies. So, back in the the Nifty Fifty days, the world hadn't globalized like it has now, and I think the prospect of of becoming a global monopoly was getting priced into those stocks. Mm-hmm. Whereas, if you look at your Googles and your Facebooks and your Amazons, they're already global monopolies. I mean, Apple is a global monopoly and they're generating significant cash flows. Mm -hmm. They've got no need for debt. They've got very high return on equity. So in many cases, they're high prices and they're they're big margins. You know, I I was listening to a a podcast with the legendary Joel Greenblatt uh, investor Mm -hmm. from Gotham Capital and he was making the point that these companies they're just they're more capital light than companies of old mm-hmm. so if you're comparing back to even in the 90s and the 80s and the profit margins of companies yep. it used to be that the industrial conglomerates were the big the big companies mm-hmm. back then whereas these tech conglomerates or these tech monopolies they're very capital light they they generate so much free cash flow that what looks to be an incredibly overvalued market isn't necessarily as overvalued as you might as you might think. Yeah. Now, I'm not saying that these stocks are fair value. I wouldn't be buying them at, at these levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think the, the, those stocks have probably got a decent correction in them if sentiment does change. Uh, but I'm certainly not suggesting that they're going to you know fall 50, 60, 70 percent like a lot of the the bears are suggesting purely to get back to. Mm. Uh, historical margins and things like that because these companies are, are just different 
But I didn't say this time yeah. is different. I said these companies are different. <laughs> okay, that's a, that's, a, that's a key difference there. Yeah, well, some uh, would say not a difference at all. It's just put in a different way. But look, I'm not, yeah. a, I'm not a cheerleader for these stocks. I'm just trying to point out that they yeah. are uh, different in terms of profitability, cash flow generation, and, and uh, lack of uh, just capital light. They're not very capital intensive. Yeah, and I think that free cash flow sort of feeds on itself because then they can spend a lot more more uh, money on research and development, and then just constantly expand their sphere of influence and all of the new products, and then that way. And not to mention buybacks, Kirill. You know they've got yeah. billions to buy back their shares. Uh, so whenever there is share price weakness, they can just bring a you know institute a share buyback scheme, which reduces their shares on issue, which increases all their uh, earnings per share multiples. So yeah, they're, they're in a pretty pretty good position once you're a global monopoly like the barriers to entry to compete against that just they're almost impossible um so they are very very dominant dominant businesses yeah and i think just on the the tech stocks i think there's it's a nice a little stat there that i got from um financial times i think the top 10 s p 500 companies accounted for about 13 percent of the broader indexes 16.9 percent first up gain of 2023 so in other words, without their gains, the U.S. market would just, would be up about four percent year to date. So maybe some people are saying that the rally is broadening, but it's not really broadening that much. It's still relying in a big way on those handful of stocks that you can literally count on two two hands. Absolutely. And if you think about it, what what do people do when they want to get in the market? They go, mm. all right, I'll put it into a nasdaq etf because the nasdaq's going up so you put it into an etf or if you put it into a fang index mm. those that just takes all the money so I, I would i would argue that there's not a lot of individual stock selection going on there's a lot of etf yep. buying going on that are centered on these types of uh sectors or industries and that's where all the money's going mm. yeah and i think there was another chart um i pro- I, I didn't send it to you but um, although the, the NASDAQ has been doing really well, if you really look beneath, beneath the surface, a huge chunk of it is still deeply underwater. So I think about um, it's probably about 30% of the NASDAQ is still down more than 75% from its two-year highs. So when you really look into beneath the surface, there's still a lot of stocks that are struggling and it's just all being propped up by by the Zuckerbergs and the Musks and the well, Bezos isn't really part of Amazon anymore, but absolutely, I agree. And if you yeah. look at some of the the data out of the US, I think this week we had the ISM indices, and the manufacturing mm-hmm. sector is is in contraction. the uh, The number came out uh, for June. The manufacturing ISM was forty six point three, and anything below fifty is an indicator of, of contraction, and that was down from forty eight the month before. On the services side, the services industry is still going quite nicely that the reading came in at 54.4 which was just down slightly from 54.9 the month before and to me that tells the story i think we mentioned it earlier is that there's there's still this residual uh spending from the cares act which was a a Mm -hmm. covid era stimulus policy that's still working its way through the economy but i don't think I'm not 100% sure, but I don't think there's any more major spending to come mm-hmm. from from the government on that front in terms of stimulus checks. So that's why you're sort of seeing this lagged impact from the services sector yeah. that's still quite strong. Uh, and I guess the the flip side of that, or not really the flip side, but the, the other question that comes from that is that, is this why the employment market is so strong? Mm-hmm. Or are there, are, are there other demographic uh, factors that are 
that are uh, weighing on the, uh, the the jobs market. So, mm-hmm. you know, are, are the baby boomers starting to move out of the market, move into retirement, and therefore take a big chunk of potential labour out? Mm-hmm. And is that why we're seeing this labour uh, wage pressure? And to me, that's the biggest thing that the Fed's going to be looking at. It's just employment yeah. and wages. And until that starts to roll over, in which case yeah. when it does, it'll be too late because it's a lagging indicator. But the Fed will want to see that weaken before there's mm-hmm. any sign of them taking their foot off the off the brake to slow things down. So um, it's almost like the Fed is going to stay tighter for longer until mm-hmm. there's an obvious slowdown, in which case it's too late for them to to start cutting because the slowdown will already be there. Yeah. So it'll probably cut when it it'll conspicuously break something big. In which case it's not even going to be that great for, for markets anyway. So and I think exactly. just on the on the job market, I think just today new data came out. I think the US gained about five hundred thousand private sector jobs last month. And that was double economists' expectations. And that was probably the biggest rise in more than a year. So the labor market is still strong. I think the 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 U.S. Fed is not going to be that happy. And it, it, just as a as an aside, it, it, the economists continue to sort of miss the these um these forecasts. I think they constantly undershoot their forecasts. So it's interesting. But yeah, it's, think, it's a real head scratcher yeah. from my perspective yeah. as well. Like the, there's clear signs of of slowdown going on yet these yep. employment numbers are just relentlessly strong so um mm-hmm. yeah I, i'm not i'm not sure what's going on there and that was the reason why you saw bond yields overnight tick up and the 10-year yep. u.s bond yield is back to uh back over four percent now mm-hmm. if you're looking at a uh, investment opportunity here i would say bonds are getting to a point where mm-hmm. they'd be they'd be good buys because mm-hmm. The Fed is going to tighten until things slow down, and that is going to mm-hmm. see bond yields uh, fall again, which means prices will rise. So the peak for ten-year bond yields came in October 2022 at 4.22%, and we are mm-hmm. now just a bit over 4%. So in the next week or so, you could see that uh, that level tested again. Uh, but my view is that it will hold, and that will probably be another good buying opportunity for for bonds. I've been recommending bonds for a little while, just as a as an additional sort of defensive part. Uh, hasn't worked out as a as an investment. We're sort of down a little bit on that, but you know, from a longer term perspective, I think this is a bonds are a good area just to allocate some defensive capital uh, mm-hmm. purely because the Fed and this higher for longer theme and the fact that the market yep. in general is ignoring it suggests that that's where the value is. Bonds are back at their level from October twenty twenty two. And stocks are back up here. So if you want to try to look at where the value is, in my view, it's 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 the bond market. Mm-hmm. Great. Well, watch watch the space. We'll keep tracking that. But I think um, now we'll maybe turn to to Australia and the outlook for for Australia before we turn to our stock of the week. I think there was um, more data from from China that sort of suggests that its, its economy is weak. And that's going to have knock-on effects, obviously, for commodities. And Australia does rely heavily on commodity exports. So I think our, I think the Aussie dollar is sort of also remaining weak. So what, what do you make all, for all of that? And yeah, so for Australia? We, we just mentioned the US uh, manufacturing and services data uh, for China. 
that came out uh, during the week as well. So the services uh, number was 53.9, which is obviously still showing signs of expansion, but that was down from 57.1 in May. So it is slowing. Uh, and the manufacturing data just keeping its head above water at 50.5, down from 50.9. The other interesting thing is that uh, China is not going through any of the inflationary concerns that the Western economies are going through. And that is more of a reflection that they didn't uh, lavish money on households during mm-hmm. the COVID, uh, COVID lockdowns. Uh, so if anyone's concern- confused about why inflation just blew, blew up in, in 2020, 2022, it was, a, it was a lagged effect of the government saying, everyone stay home and don't produce and we'll give you a ton of money so you can consume. So if you shut down production, i.e. supply, and you increase demand, price rises are going to happen. Like it's just economics 101. China didn't do that, so they're not grappling with this inflationary concern. They're actually more worried about this disinflation and and deflation kicking back in because they're trying to manage their property bust. Youth unemployment in China is around 20%. uh, and, And the reopening of China uh, after its uh, COVID restrictions didn't really produce the the, the bounce that everyone was expecting, um, and I think that's that's the biggest thing weighing on the uh, weighing on the Aussie economy right now. Uh, there's a couple of uh, charts just on that front that are that are worth pointing out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a couple of weeks ago, we showed the um, the, U- the Chinese currency, the yuan, relative to the US dollar. So this is the yuan US dollar index here. It's been falling uh, for for some time. Um, so if I'll just zoom back out. Um, so 2023 oh, yep. started here. You can see, and sorry, this is the obviously the the copper price and the iron ore price um, that correlates quite well to the to the yuan. It, they started rallying in expectation of a reopening. Now, when China yep. did reopen, and it was a bit of a fizzer, everything rolled over. Here, we've seen a separation of copper and iron ore prices while the the yuan has continued to fall. My guess is this was around the time that China announced a few stimulus measures, but the stimulus was very very lackluster. It's not going to do anything Mm. major. Whereas the commodities responded to that that and said, okay, well, this is going to, you know, boost... Uh, demand for for these commodities, but if you look at the correlations here, it hasn't really worked out yeah. for the for the Chinese yuan, and, and there's the indication there that things are still quite weak. So, what's not priced in here is this potential catch up uh, of copper and iron ore prices that might come back down uh, to trade around where the the uh, Chinese yuan is, uh, which is to me that's a that's a downside risk. Now, if we go over and look at a couple of um, charts. This is the Aussie dollar. And the Aussie dollar is really, in my view, I've looked at it a long time. It's just a global barometer for mm-hmm. economic growth, that sort of stuff. Now, the Aussie dollar bottomed around the same time as global stock markets. And that was obviously when concern was around that uh, the global economy was 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 slowing quite sharply. This was around the time of uh, the energy crisis in in Europe as well. Then we had a big bounce again on the the expectation and hope that the Chinese economy would reopen mm-hmm. and, and reignite global growth. That didn't happen, so we've rolled over. Uh, here, this bounce related to 
hopes of China stimulus and also the fact this happened around the same time that the RBA uh, raised rates as well. Um, but we've seen it roll back over again. So from a long-term perspective, the Aussie dollar is just trending lower and lower and lower. Yeah. And while this is a different conversation and one we can maybe explore in future weeks, if you think about the high level of Aussie house prices, the huge cost to service debt, um, the fact that house prices are well beyond, uh, the average house price is well beyond the the range of the average wage in Australia. Mm-hmm. There has to be, there has to be a, 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 a valve that, that takes the pressure off somewhere. And generally those valves are in currency. So I wouldn't be surprised uh, in the coming year to see the Aussie dollar break down to new lows and even get into the, into the fifties. Um, but as I said, that's a probably a conversation for, a uh, for another time. Uh, and just looking at the, uh, this is the ASX 200 resources index. Mm-hmm. So this is clearly driven by your BHPs and Rios and, um, Fortescue, so obviously the big iron ore miners, it is forming this uh, consolidation range here. And by the look of things, just the way the market's going, wouldn't be surprised to see that breakdown out of this range and you're going to see lower lower prices in, in the months ahead. Having said that, uh, I wouldn't be expecting a bloodbath in the sector. The, those stocks are very well capitalized in terms of their balance sheets. Yep generate significant free cash flows. They've got world-class assets. Um, so it all really depends on where the iron ore price goes. I, th- I think iron ore prices are probably going to head down to the $80 uh, a tonne level, US or lower. Uh, but on the flip side, if the Aussie dollar keeps falling, then that's that provides a little bit of offset for the uh, for the big miners. Mm-hmm. And just one other, um, one other chart I wanted to show you, just to give you a, uh, just to give you a sense of um the state of consumption in australia which the what do you call it the trade figures came out yesterday and i dug Mm. into them just to have a a bit of a squeeze on uh the imports and what was coming in and you can see the consumption goods here and overall it looks really strong uh from month to month it's up 7.7 percent you got food and beverages uh for consumption down 4.3 percent you got household electrical items down 3.4 percent uh, textiles, clothing, and footwear, footwear down 1.6%, and toys, books, and leisure goods down 4.1%. The main thing propping that figure up was uh, it says non industrial transport equipment, but it's essentially cars uh, coming into the yeah. country. And as you know, there was a huge backlog of orders uh, for for cars from the from the COVID supply chain crunch, and you're seeing a lot of those start to come in now as the semiconductor industry resupplies the car manufacturers and all those things are freeing up that supply chain. So if you take that out of the equation, consumption is actually quite weak, uh, which mm-hmm. reinforces the the view that we've talked about over the past couple of episodes that uh, rising interest rates, fixed rate mortgages resetting to higher are really hurting uh, consumption in the household sector. So um, it doesn't paint a pretty picture for the Aussie consumer uh, and the Aussie economy, um, and especially if the RBA is going to continue to mm-hmm. uh, keep rates high, um, and you know the market's pricing in another one to two interest rate rises by I think it's September. Uh, but whether whether the RBA raises again, 
my view is mm-hmm. that it's probably a lot lower odds than what the market's pricing in at the moment. Yeah. And even if they don't raise, they will probably hold them high for a long time to come. Uh, and that'll just, either way, the consumer is going to feel the pain. Whether another 50 basis points are raised or not, they're in a dire situation. Yeah, there's not going to be rate cuts for a while. And and if there are yeah. rate cuts sooner rather than later, uh, it's not going to be for good reason. Yeah. And I think that's, I think, a point that's sort of overlooked. I think people sort of sometimes, it's easy to sort of think, oh, well, if the rates come down, that's great news. But you also have to remember, well, what's the reason for the Reserve Bank to sort of start drastically cutting rates? They're not going to do that. If things are going well, they're going to do that. If things are going quite badly. Exactly. And we've talked about that before. We've shown how in rate cutting cycles that the market continues to to decline because it's still reacting to the lagged impact of the former tightening cycle. And these things do take time. There's not an immediate uh, reflection in the economy or on company earnings. And once sentiment changes on that front, uh, it does take time to time to change. But right now, sentiment's as, as strong as it has been in, in some time, and the U.S. market is blissfully unaware of uh, the tightness that real interest rates are imposing on the economy. Yeah, so it's so it's not waking up yet. It's not even stirring. It's like a still a sleeping it's asleep, mate. <laughs> snoring, snoring its way through to disaster. Yep. Uh, well, okay, I think with that we'll turn to the stock of the week, and it's. Probably not great news as well. It's the giant packaging company, Amcor. So, yeah, take it away. Yeah, I thought we'd just continue on the uh, on the same theme, really. Uh, so Amcor is a stock that just came across my screen uh, yesterday. It's not a stock that I follow closely. Um, it's a global global company. Uh, it's a global packaging company, really. So it's a good, it's a good indicator of uh, the movement of goods throughout yeah. the economy. So, you know, pharmaceuticals, food, beverage, all those sorts of things. It packages packages them up and, and, uh, and obviously other companies move them around, but the demand for its product is a good indicator of just underlying movement of goods in the economy. Mm-hmm. So it peaked in uh, August last year, and since then it's down around 22%. And I'm not sure what it's done today, but there's a good chance it's going to break below the lows that it reached in March of 2022. And that was on the back of obviously supply chain concerns around mm-hmm. the, the uh, Ukraine-Russia war. So to, to break below that level would be reasonably significant. Uh, and it's just another indicator that real underlying economic growth uh, is not as uh, not as robust as the the US share market is, is probably leading many people to believe. Mm-hmm. But having said that, the Aussie market, to me, is much more rationally valued. So as much as we might point out the fact that the US market's asleep and sentiment's off the charts, I think there's a different story unfolding in Australia. And, uh, you know, as as much as I'm concerned about some short-term sell-offs, I'd be looking at these sell-offs to be adding selectively to to portfolios because I do think there is good long-term value around. Yeah, well, the the SX two hundred definitely doesn't. It it lacks the distortionary field of something like an Apple or, I mean, Apple is probably bigger than the whole of the SX two hundred. So it doesn't the SX two hundred's gone economy. nowhere for yeah. two years. So to me, when when a when a market goes sideways for two years, um, there's a lot of 
average news priced into that market. It's mm-hmm. not excited. It's not depressed. It's not. Yep. So, so from an overall market perspective, it's hard to really see a contrarian take where you can get excited mm-hmm. about being bullish or bearish. But in in individual stocks, I think there's there's plenty yep. plenty on offer. Um, and you know, there's plenty of good stocks that have fallen fifty percent from their highs and and are looking relatively attractive. And as we talk about, the question is really, have future earnings estimates priced in a, a relatively mm-hmm. uh, conservative future forecast that you can you can buy into? That's the real question. It's looking at earnings and saying, okay, does that is that a fair reflection mm-hmm. of what I can expect in the next uh, twelve to eighteen months? Yeah, great. And I think maybe next week we'll um, potentially look at dividend stocks so uh, people can maybe stay tuned for that. But with that said, I think we've covered everything. It was a nice and speedy and a nice discussion. So we have covered great, everything. Any, yeah, anything else to add? Any well, final I would just, thoughts? I would just say on, on that in future weeks, uh, we're also looking mm-hmm. at um, bringing in some uh, third-party interv- interviews, uh, interviewees, um, to, to add uh, add to it and get other people's takes on on what's not priced mm-hmm. in uh, so in the coming weeks we'll be we'll be introducing some guests mate I don't know if even if I've told you about that but uh, that's the plan uh, viewers he did not tell me this <laughs> but <laughs> that that's how that's well, he wasn't priced in on my end no keeping in theme right. with the uh, with the podcast mate exactly exactly well thanks great and see you next week thanks Carol thanks for watching see ya bye Thanks for joining What's Not Priced In, your weekly source of unique ideas in the Australian stock market. If you've enjoyed this episode, please show your support by following us on your chosen platform and turn those post notifications on so you don't miss a thing. And uh, stay tuned for the upcoming episodes as we delve into new topics, new trends and new stocks. Thanks for your support. Hope to see you next week.